On the cover, Cybersaurus Hex stands over the prone form of Professor Paradox. Around the two, the image splinters, fragmenting and folding over and over into myriad reflections of our heroes. Patrine, Daybreak, Horsehead, Stellar, Kieran, Stagehand, and Hextinction all reach inwards towards each other as Cybersaurus Hex lifts his foot to come down on Paradox. Hindsight Finale, Part 1, Time Crash. Welcome back to Hindsight, where we find ourselves having come through a flash of bright blue light on a very fancy time machine with one Professor Hamilton Paradox, Hextinction, Patrine, and Horsehead, but not, as it turns out, Daybreak. And that is where we open, in a now much less crowded laboratory at the top of one of the ruined Heron buildings in downtown Apex City where Nightfall has just seen this time machine disappear and immediately wheels back around. And Daybreak, what are you doing? Daybreak is still doing that weird glowy with dark crackles in it. They're going to go back in time and stop whatever whatever it is that you did to make the world like this. They're going to save the world from you. And Nightfall just closes his eyes. And you can see the fight kind of start to leave him. And you realize that yeah, he's he's solid, he's built, he's definitely a threat, but dude is at least in his 80s. And he just opens him up again and looks at you. Yeah? Look around, kid. How'd that work out? I don't know how time travel works. Maybe it's another future. What, you think there's a lag time? I don't know. And he just walks over and leans up against one of the structural supports that has not been crumbled by this fight. Listen, time is like a multi-layered bubble that pops or something. It'll happen. Yeah, no. I used to think that, too. You have no idea how excited I was when we found this thing. How many dumb kids I sent back in time to try and fix this shit, and not a one of them worked. Well, maybe you didn't send the right people. Suppose it's all a moot point now. That's the last time we're going to use that thing, because it's gone now. I mean, they'll, they'll fix it. They'll, they're going, I have faith in them. They'll fix it. <laughs> yeah. Faith in your friends. What a novel concept. Speaking of Daybreak's friends, for those of you who have not time-traveled before, it's odd. For a brief moment, uh, you can see every point of your timeline just laid out all at the same time, and that moment lasts both no time at all and all the time that has ever existed, and then it just snaps back and you find yourself in a very nice uh, mahogany like wood-paneled room with a crystal glassware set on a bar and a big uh, array of tubes with liquid in them. It's it's all very, like, Victorian mad scientist's laboratory looking. And the three of you that were pulled through with this time machine very quickly realized that Professor Paradox, who was sitting in the uh, seat of said time machine, looks much different than uh, he did when this journey started. For one thing, he's way, way older, by which I mean, you're not really sure how he's still alive, and he is barely, like, breathing. He is super, super old at this point, and very swiftly becoming uh, unconscious. What are the, what are the three of you doing? Is that 
like, rebreather still on his chest, or...? When Daybreak threw him unceremoniously into this machine, he did knock a couple of those things out of his chest, so it got damaged in the throw. Petrine, can, 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 you, can you fix this? Uh, uh. Petrine is only half paying attention to this because she's currently like, Daybreak! 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 In actual kind of blue screening panic. Okay, so Petrina's blue screening. Hextinction is trying to get Petrine to focus. Horsehead, what are you up to? <laughs> like, uh, Horsehead is, like, still in the position he was in when he was plugging in Overclock. Like, this uh, dinosaur I'm just snaked around his, his ankle, and next thing he knew, he was in a completely different place. <laughs> okay, so you're you're probably taking a minute to uh, to figure this all out. Paradox, at this point, is, like, reaching up to the thing's poking into his chest and, like, trying to attach a hose to, like, a little nozzle. And it's not going very well. He's very, very shaky at this point, And you can tell that his breathing is becoming labored. It's probably at this point that Hextinction being her controller, basically, even though they aren't, but in Patrine's coding it is. Yes, yes. She snaps suddenly, uh, seeming to snap out of it and goes into, like, mechanical mode and hurries over to put it back into Professor Paradox's chest. Yeah, it's not hard. It's literally just a little hose that came un- unattached. Oh. Oh, I probably could have done that then. You I probably thought this could. was like a... <laughs> yeah, no, you, you probably could have, but it, to be fair, this was a traumatic situation, right? So yep. sometimes it takes There's a There's a man dying in front of me. <laughs> it could be fixed by attaching a hose to a thing, but you know, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, you do that, and within a couple of seconds, his breathing returns to normal. Uh, he is still super, super old, though. Rebooting, and Petrine steps back and just sits down. And he, and he takes takes a breath, and then he kind of... Oh, oh, where, where is everyone? This is not how this should be. And he looks over at Hextinction. Oh, I just put two and two together. <laughs> well, how's it going, kid? I'm your grandpa. What? What? <laughs> what? All right. Remember how I said I, I invented time travel? Yeah? So, here's the thing about time travel. You tend to make a lot of, a lot of plans and... There's more to do in time than one person can conceivably do in one lifetime, right? So, what do you do? You need more than one of you, right? I mean, that sounds like a stretch, but fine, sure. The point is, this place should be full of me's uh, all over the place. It's a genetically stabilizing time bubble. It's kind of my, my home base of operations. It's, remember, remember how I said there's these little bubbles on the side of the glasses? This is one of those, built it myself. Problem is, one of my earliest experiments was making more me's, and initially I thought clones, as you do. Uh, that's, that's a bad idea, though. Clones have, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, personalities. They're not just you, they are their own person. Very, very hard to control things. And also, you don't get the experience yourself, you're just sending some genetically identical version of yourself out to have that experience. It's all very bland. I only ever made one clone. And that clone used part of his genetic material to make you. So now, you come in here with your partial me DNA, and the time bubble recognized you instead of me, overwrote the whole damn thing. And I'm betting you don't have any time duplicates yet. No. Not as far as I'm aware. Yeah, so I guess this is it for old Hamilton Paradox. Never thought this is how I'd go out. So, wait, 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 so what do we, how do we, how do we, how do we get out of this place? How do we, how, what do we, how does all this work? <laughs> uh, I couldn't begin to explain it to you if I tried. Remember when I said time doesn't work? Yeah, time really doesn't work. This whole place is coded to me and it recognizes that you're me, so just tell it what to do and it'll do it. Point is, 
I've been splitting myself off into so many different timelines for so long that now when they all come crashing together, oh, I am aging so rapidly. I've got, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes tops. Rebooted. Where do you need to go? Uh, is there a name for the day that the nanovirus happened? Uh, you know what? You were there. Why don't you tell me? Installation. It's the, it's the, it's the first installation. Oh. Yeah, that's about where I was going anyway. Sure thing. I've got, like I said, about 20 minutes. Why don't you stretch your legs? Come back. I'll have the thing reset. It's gonna take me a minute. Extinction, you know, is looking at, looking for something from Petrine or from Horsehead. I, I don't think she even knows what she's looking for, but she was not expecting to have to watch a man just die in front of her. <laughs> he is aging by the second. Is there... Can we stop? Can we stop this? <laughs> what? You think you can stop causality? Please. You don't have half the experience I do. Me? Sure. But there's only one of me left, and frankly, I just don't have the energy for it anymore. Uh, Hextinction, maybe it's better if you don't stand here and watch this. No, no, let, let, let's go take this breather. I need to have a word with you anyway. I will stay here. Fine. Just, Petrine, make, make him comfortable if you can. That's not, that's not, it's not an order. Yeah, don't, look, I, I'm, it's fine. I could use an extra set of hands to recalibrate the machine, though. I can help with this. So, uh, Horsehead, Hextinction, I believe you two need to have a chat. Uh, pull Hextinction aside. I say, well, Overclock is set up in that room, uh, and is going to go off any moment. Uh, presumably Daybreak is still in there? Right. Y- yeah. Yeah, he- ass- assumedly. I mean- I- I'm not too worried. We have all the time in the world to get back to him. That is how time travel works, I think. What I'm more worried about is Overclock is going to go off- uh, all of the nanos are going to get uh, disrupted by his force, but uh, whoever's in that room is probably going to find out very quickly what, what the true deal is with the nanos. And you were talking before as though that's going to be incriminating to you. Is this, is this something that Daybreak is going to take badly, is what I'm asking. I don't think he'll take it well. Because this is a weird time base, can there be, like, some sort of... Professor Paradox seems like the type to, like, to relive or re-experience his glories. Like a time viewer. Oh yeah, absolutely. And in that combination between Hextinction being a technopath and apparently also being linked to this place on a genetic level... Like one of the, this viewer in the in the room that they're in just turns on, and we see the first moments of the infection. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a surprisingly small place. It's really just like five or six rooms. It's not big. There's like a big kitchen. There's a sleeping area. There's a weird recreation area where, assumedly, since this place is usually full of multiple versions of Paradox, he plays pool against himself. Uh, <laughs> but like. But yeah, there is also a big, like, viewing room that is full of screens, and there are multiple little dials that have labels on them, some of which are actually labeled Do Not Watch, and they're, like, with, like, big red X's across them, uh, but that is not one of them. So, you can you can find that. You can pull that up. Yeah. I don't think this is even intentional on Hextinction's part. I think it just kind of happens. Yeah, l- like you said, the the base does react to you, and like Paradox said, just tell it what you want it to do, and it'll do it. So even if you're not verbalizing that, if this yeah. is what you're thinking about, right? Exactly. Because this all started in a hospital, right? So we see that view of this hospital. I think we see as Hextinction and Hex, 
you know, appear probably on, like, the helipad. And this is probably done in a, a number of sequence panels, and, like, there's not actually any dialogue, but, you know, we see Hex making some grand gestures and pointing towards the door, um, which she goes through. Probably a lot of this is done in silhouettes, as we see Hextinction just walking through the hospital. We're seeing her arms again turn sort of monstrous. There, there's not only this cloud of particles just extending off her, but we're seeing her claws now, like, coated in that techno-organic material as she's just walking through and just piercing people. Like, it's done to look violent, her just in- infecting people directly with these claws. And, you know, when, sh- when she pulls out, we're not seeing blood or anything because the, the techno-organic is immediately, like, filling those wounds, but it is dark and it is violent and Textinction turns away. Horsehead, how are you reacting to that? Uh like Horsehead is uh watching this footage and uh he he's kind of like putting two and two together in his head. Daybreak is is a great partner and a good hero, but he does go anti hero at some point. This is one of those things Nightfall was always freaked out about. If he sees this I'm worried that's going to be the flip. Welcome back to Apex City's Bronze Age. We open on Tezuka Square, where a silver triceratops head floats above a mostly unconscious crowd below. As Stellar begins to take stock of the situation, the mouth opens, and legions of people fall out, descending on softly glowing cybernetic feet tipped in delicate claws. On their backs are emblazoned a coat of arms, with a bear rampant. So, Stellar, you are seeing a goodly score of people descending out of this head and towards the square, where you are currently one of a very few conscious people. What do you do? Is Olivia unconscious? Oh yeah. You can tell that she's starting to kind of like come back to it, but she was knocked out immediately. Uh, I look at the other conscious people and I point to the unconscious people and say, start taking them out of here. This is gonna be a fight. I, I don't think I'm going to need you to roll anything for that. I think they are willing to just be like, okay, yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they start scooping people up and shuffling out. And this is Apex City. We are used to superhero bullshit. I think Stutter takes out their uh, camcorder and turns it on. And <laughs> turns it. I know there are some pressing matters, but I have to do this. Uh, and she turns it to face her and says, Hello, Starlights. Uh, it looks like there are some weird metallic people about to... Uh, well, attack, but don't you worry, because I'm going to stop them. And I set it down nearby, hoping that it catches me, because I'm not going to hand it off to someone. The only person I would is unconscious. So we get those panels of Stellar, like, setting the camcorder, probably on the table that uh, that she and Olivia were just having, you know, a little date at. Yes. And we kind of panel in on that camcorder, and we see that as these figures are descending towards the square, it just starts to static over. And that static dissolves into a laboratory in the Kopi Pyramid, where a pretty shaky Kieran, if we're being honest, 
has just mind blasted a large swath of Apex City. And Hextinction has now kind of come back online, but her cybernetics are flickering a little bit, and she's kind of just like shaking it off. But the Nano Swarm has completely absorbed into her cybernetics. She's punching some buttons on her arm to assumedly make something happen. What do you do? What's the biggest thing in the room that isn't currently nailed down? There was like one of those big uh, swivel arms that, you know, you see in every science laboratory for some reason. And uh, Dr. Cassiano got flung into that. So it's kind of like half toppled over at this point. Cool. I want to take that and throw it at this dino woman. Nice. Uh, That seems like a directly engaged to me. It's going to be great, everyone. It's going to be fine. Okay. um, So that's my fifth potential. The total is four. Oh, no. (laughs) Just because it looks like my future might be coming true. I'm going to grab my moment of truth, just in case. You fling this thing at Hextinction. I think it actually does impact her. And then just kind of like crumples around her and she reaches back and attaches that arm that just absorbed the nano swarm to that big science arm. And you can see that it extends some little tendrils and latches onto it and just integrates it into her technology. And then she swings it back at you. I do need you to take a powerful blow here. No problem. That's eight. I'm going to have to struggle past the pain and mark my last two unmarked conditions. (laughs) Okay. She hits me with the arm, and for a moment, Kieran goes down, but then in a fucking very anime fashion, Kieran gets back up, wipes some blood off, like, their mouth, and just, like, glares at her. Because Kieran has an entire future worth of people to worry about and try to save. So they're not going to let a little robot hand take them out. I think that glare is a good point to swing over to stagehand very quick. So Cybersaurus Hex has just stepped out of a portal, knocked out Professor Paradox, and kind of tipped his little cowboy hat at you. And he just kneels down and starts rifling through Paradox's pockets. He's not paying attention to you at all at this point. What do you do? Read his mind to find out what he's looking for. I want you to unleash your powers. Okay. That'll go great, I'm sure. That is a seven. Let's go a temporary or unstable. He is looking for one of two things. So Paradox is a time traveler and usually travels with one primary device. And it's almost always shaped like a clock or a watch or some kind of timepiece because that's the kind of person Paradox is. What he's hoping to find is a green gem, kind of the size of a fist. But failing that, he wants to take the device that Paradox has on him to travel, you know, through time and use that to backtrack where Paradox has been. As you get that information, he stops and you get like this little shock in the back of your head and he looks over at you. Well, so now you know what I'm after. And he stands up. You gonna help me out or you gonna get in my way? Stagehand, like, doesn't quite take a fighting stance, but isn't backing down either. And now we're just going to go with it. Sage takes a bit of a fighting stance and is like, why would I help you out? (laughs) That's goddamn adorable. Look, kid, you don't have any idea what you're dealing with. And trust me, you are not equipped to handle what I am right now. I'm going to telekinetically shove him into the wall. 
you can do that. But first, he is shifting your. You, but first, he is shifting your labels. All right. Uh, so he is shifting your danger down and your mundane up. Do you want to? Uh, do you want to accept this? No. Go ahead and reject. <laughs> That's a great idea. I'm insecure. What could go wrong? <laughs> What's the worst that could happen? A six. <laughs> <laughs> that is so, the worst that could happen. <laughs> so, so what conditions do you have uh, marked at the moment? Insecure is the only one I have marked. Just insecure? Yeah. Okay. I think if we're being honest, he is a very scary figure. I, I think I'm going to have you mark afraid. That's fair. And I do think we're just going to shift those same labels. I, I think you're feeling a little bit out of your element right now. All right, danger down, mundane up. All right, and then you are going to try and telekinetically slam him into a wall. <laughs> yeah, because I'm a dumb teenager. <laughs> sure, go for it. Uh, that's a six minus three. <laughs> that's a three. Well, stagehand, you reach out uh, your mind to shove him, and he does shove back a couple inches and then his feet extend claws that hook into the ground and he does still move back a little bit with those digging through the ground we get those panels and then he just kind of like rolls his neck and starts walking towards you Oof, oh shit and you're like and i want i want that panel where you're like pouring that on to try and like you know push him back and he is kind of striding forward now what did i just tell you all right then you want to play in the big leagues? Let's play in the big leagues. And he steps on Paradox's neck, and we, we panel away from that. We don't actually see on the panel what happens, but we get the sound effect. <clears throat> I am going to need you to take a powerful blow here, because you were not expecting him to kill Paradox. That's an eight. So, and I am assuming I had no opportunity to defend. That was your hard move. Yeah, that was the hard move. Okay. Yeah, what do you want to do? You I will I will say this. You have influence over Wolf Spider and they are starting to come back to consciousness, so you could take advantage of your influence no. to inflict a condition on them. No. Um okay. I think uh, logically what makes sense is that I give ground because I am like shocked. So I think like what happens is as we got the sound effect, the panel cut away to like stagehands face and you can just see her mouth drop open and she was holding her backpack in her hands that has like all of her gear in it and she drops the backpack in surprise hex at this point kind of like spreads his hands out a little bit we get kind of like a big splash page you know what happens when you end a timeline as twisted as that and then all around him, you can see the panel starting to like fracture and splinter off into different directions. And we get overlapping stagehands, young Usher stagehand that was stalking Highwire, an adult stagehand. Adult stagehand is definitely like what we see in the panel is her hair is starting to go gray. And it's like that gray of I stopped dying it three years ago and I'm trying to let it just grow out. She has cybernetic fishnets. And she just looks tired. So, so very, very tired. And has like that haunted look of too many failed protégés on her face. We get kind of spiderwebbed out from that. Some of the other people that are in Stagehand's life at various points 
in her life. So we definitely see like Emilio kind of off to one side and we see uh, Desi on kind of the other side and we see Stellar and we actually see like two different versions of Stellar. We see one where she's in her normal bright colors and then we see one where she's got like this red and purple motif going on. We see one where Olivia's there and has like a ring and we see one where Olivia's not there and we see one where Stellar is like at Olivia's grave. (gasps) And you just see all of these possibilities and potentialities and you are rocked. Masks New Generation is written for Magpie Games by Brendan Conway. It is made of gold, silver, and bronze. Also the future, which may or may not be doomed. Daybreak is played by Eric. You can find him on Twitter at PrimeFactorX01 or listen to him play a silky smooth fay on the Shadows of St. Fleur podcast. Patrine is played by Mac. She's a co-host of Crooked Russian Cam's podcasts, including Gem Jammer and I Will Fight You. You can find her at any of those or at MacKenzie on Twitter. Horsehead is played by Nick, GM of Real Fantasy Encounters. You can find him on Twitter at RF Encounters. Stellar is played by Charlie. You can find Sir on Twitter at Magical underscore Pride and Sir Podcast Precure Podcast Engage at Prepod Engage. Hextinction is played by Evan Saft, your friendly neighborhood GM on the Rollout Podcast. They can be found on Twitter at Names Equipped or at Rollout Podcast. Stagehand is played by Landon Cornell. You can find him on Twitter at Occasional GM or on his own podcast, Shadows of St. Fleur, which you can find at St. Fleur Pod. Kieran is played by Vanessa Haas. You can find her being a delinquent on Paradigm Academy on LGBT Indie as Jack the Janus, or on Twitter at Alpaca My Books. Apex City is GM'd by Jeremy, who also writes the music and edits this podcast. Our album art was provided by Fitzsimmons. Find them on Instagram at Fitzonomy. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever timelines crash together. Follow us on Twitter at ApexCityCast. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next issue. you Jeremy. <laughs> I can't believe I turned into you. Yeah, well, I can't believe I was ever as naive as you. Comics code! This doesn't fix anything. It just makes it worse.